current sermon series relies on two words. There, there's a prayer that I've asked us all to pray. That is, revive us. Uh, it's a prayer to God, asking that with all that we've been through over the past 12 months, that, that God would breathe air into us, into our lives and into our families and uh, into our church and into our community. And there's several key ways to do that. Uh, I stated several weeks ago that the first thing we want to do is to reaffirm our vows at baptism. Right? to reject and to resist and to repent and to change our ways, but also then to be active agents out in the world. So if you need a reminder of, of what revival is like, look at your baptismal vows. Look at the ones that, uh, that are printed so often in your order of worship. Uh, the second thing is to reclaim, as Nathaniel did, truly you are the Christ, the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. You are the Messiah. Reclaiming uh, that about Jesus the Christ is a way to experience revival. Then we saw in Mark's gospel how Jesus was calling the early disciples and how they responded. They went from an ordinary life to a very extraordinary life through an encounter with Jesus Christ just by saying, saying, yes, I'll do this. I'll follow you. Even though I don't know where you're going, Jesus, I'll follow you by faith and by trust. Last week we talked about redemption and what it means to be redeemed. That is, given value to once again. And I talked about a coin, one that was worn uh, by my grandfather. He took it with him everywhere he went and the image was lost. And then also a coin that's laid on a train track and the train runs over it, that image is lost. What does it mean to be redeemed for that coin to have the image re-stamped on it? Our lives work that same way. Through our, our sinfulness, through our waywardness, through just sometimes just life in general. We find ourselves wondering, where's the image of God gone? We need to be redeemed. Today is all about release. And I've asked you to think about that posture as you prepare now your hearts to come forward in the next few minutes, prepare to come forward for communion. You'll receive uh, some bread. You'll receive this main means of grace. You'll receive some, some juice, this cup, this medicine. Thank you, Mr. Welch, uh, that he gave us to take something very ordinary. Uh, to find an extraordinary grace. Uh, we're only a few verses into Mark's gospel and so much has already happened, but that's where we pick up today as we think about release. And here's, here's the next little caveat I want to say to that. With Christ, we're always released by grace from something, but the challenge is uh, we're always released to something. So I want you to think about that as we move, move forward. Would you stand as you are able for the reading, the hearing, the blessing of God's holy word? This is the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark. Listen for the word of the Lord. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. And they told Jesus about her at once. He came and he took her by the hand and he lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick and possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door to the house. And Jesus cured many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. And he would not permit those demons to speak because the demons knew him. Well, in the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and he prayed there. And Simon and his companions hunted for Jesus. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is searching for you. And Jesus answered, let us go to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went through Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. 
This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The fishing ponds where I learned how to set a cork and walk a top water lure, it doubled as a watering hole for the cows that were in our pasture. It was always exciting, but not very sanitary. Well, we had a rule that any fish that we caught that was less than a pound, it had to go back in the pond. Any of y'all have those kind of rules? It was our own catch and release uh, program, if you will. Well, there was a show that came on Saturdays that I really loved. It was fishing with Jimmy Houston. Now, Jimmy Houston had blonde hair and big glasses, and he had this catch and release program too. Every fish that he caught, he released it, at least on television anyway. Well, but before he released it, he did something that was so odd. Do you remember what he did? He did. He kissed every fish on the mouth, every single one of them. He took the hook out, he kissed it, and he put it back in the water. Well, I was very impressionable. And I just thought the next time I go fishing and I catch a bass that's less than one pound, I'm going to kiss that bass and I'm going to release it back into the water. Well, I did that. Had a few strikes, had a few nibbles, finally caught the, the bass, and I went into Jimmy Houston mode, and I raised that bass up, and the Lord intervened. I think that bass was in a relationship with another fish because it did not want to be kissed. It slapped me upside my face and left a mark that stung the entire rest of the day. That was the last fish kissing that I did at the cow ponds. So I've been thinking about that story, and I've been thinking about grace and how Jesus lures us with grace and catches us with grace and kisses us with grace and then releases us back into the ponds we call this world and to our community by that very same grace. If you think about Mark's gospel from a wide-angle lens, we're only 40 verse, 39 verses into Mark's gospel, and Jesus has been baptized. He's had his first public speaking engagement with all the religious folks. At that same, at that same outing, he had uh, uh, demons that he cast out of, of somebody who was daring enough to come forward. He called up uh, these first four disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John were the only four at this point. He called them, them up. And now he's made his way to Andrew and Peter's house. In 39 verses, Jesus has taught us something. Mark has taught us something about Jesus and Jesus' way of building a team and thinking theologically and his preaching styles and his teaching styles and what he thinks about medical conditions. And, and today, one of the ways we're seeing Jesus is through a pastoral care lens, through a pastoral lens. We're seeing the heart of, of Jesus. This is the story about a home visit, something that we, as your clergy, miss doing. We miss our home visits with you all because that's at the heart of, of a pastor. So why this single house? Why does Mark single this out? Uh, some critics have even said, why does Jesus even bother with this house? Why does Jesus bother taking up time with this, this woman? What's, what's going on here? Well, there's several things that 
conventions and walls and barriers that Jesus is smashing. First of all, uh, a Jewish man wouldn't have dared come in close proximity with, with a woman in that way, publicly or, or semi-publicly, and, and to take up time with those who were sick, that created a lot of problems for ceremonial laws and worship laws and, and community laws. Um, diseases were understood to be transfer communicable then just as they are now. So from a practical standpoint, you don't go around someone with fever, you know, you got to wait 24 hours for the Tylenol to kick in, for the fever to be gone. So it posed a lot of problems. Jesus was having none of it. This is a pastoral visit. This is a woman that's being held captive by something. She needs to experience release. You know, quarantining, close contact, socially distancing protocols, they're not new concepts. If, if you have trouble sleeping at night, you can read about them in Leviticus. They're all right there, I promise. But amid all of that, in spite of all of those conventions. Peter realized that neither he nor anyone else in, in the entire town could provide his mother-in-law with the kind of healing that, that she needed. And that's so true. We feel so much like that, right? We, we feel so powerless when someone is sick that maybe all we can do is say, I'll, I'll pray for you. And right now we're so socially distanced from one another and those whom we love, that it's just hard to have that same kind of, of interaction for a few more weeks or a few more months. And so we feel so powerless. The best way we can respond sometimes is to Facebook posts or we hear announcements read. We don't hear them in Sunday school in small groups where we had that incarnational time together. We, just, we hear everything at a distance. We do everything at a distance. And that's not how we were wired to be. And that's tough, and we feel powerless. We feel just as powerless when, when we're nudged to share our faith, but we say, I don't, I don't know what to say. Or we feel nudged to walk over to where anyone mentioned in this incredible anthem that you just heard, any, any one of those who are mentioned there, the sick, the infirm, the, the Lord of the small comes for us all. We feel so powerless, though. But I hope that one thing you notice about this miracle is it has absolutely nothing to do with words. It's only actions. It has everything to do with Jesus' proximity to another human being in need. Jesus simply takes her hand. He's, he's bold enough first to go where she is, where there's a need, and he's, he takes her hand. And Mark's gospel says he lifts her up. That's a beautiful image. It's, he raises her up. That fever goes down and he raises her up and releases her and restores her, revives her in, in her own way. I think Mark is trying to make a point. I think Mark is trying to make this point that the mission of Christianity is so much better when it's caught, not taught. That actions speak louder than, than words when it comes to Jesus. I'm mindful that Paul told the church in Corinth, now you are the body of Christ. You are Christ's body. And individually, you are members of it, meaning everywhere we go, we are those same agents as Jesus Christ in this world. If the Holy Spirit resides in us. And we need touch. That's how we were wired. I can count on one hand the number of actual hands that I have shaken since March 8th, 2020. Can you? Can you count how many hugs you've had from 
from your Sunday school class, your small group? I can. There's something powerful about being able to grab another hand and to pray for someone, to pray around someone, to be in a hospital bed like, like we love to do. That's part of our pastoral calling. And to hold that hand and say, you are not alone. And how many people have experienced that aloneness due to this virus, this pandemic? It's tough. But touch and its power in the name of Jesus Christ still has the healing properties that it had long ago. Sure, it might not reduce somebody's fever. In fact, don't touch anybody with a fever, right? We know that. Don't, don't touch anybody right now during a pandemic. How about that? But we need that touch in different ways. We need to know that we're not alone. We can't lower temperatures. Jesus had different power than we do. We can't literally lower a fever, but we can, we can lower the temperature, the fever of anxiety for someone. We can lower, we can lower the, the chills of fear for someone just by being present with them. We can, we can lower the, the temperature of, of timidity by reminding somebody that through the waters of baptism, we are empowered for God's work in the world. Our role is really quite simple. It's to bring people in, in the proximity, in proximity with the Messiah, to invite them into his presence, and then to trust that God uh, will do the rest because healing is so much more than physical response. It's about mind. It's about body. It's about soul. It's about relationships. It's about instruments. Some of you are wondering why this, this organ is sitting here. This is not the organ that came from over here. This is the organ from the chapel. Wouldn't you know that we, when we brought it in here to play it, it decided to become obstinate <laughs> and stop working. It doesn't like change. It's resisted change, James. It didn't want to be in here. It didn't want to move. It was perfectly happy over there. And it just has become bitter because we made it change and move into the sanctuary. So somebody, when you take communion, usually lay hands on this organ and, and see if it can come back to life and help us out in the coming weeks. Bitterness is like that. It's, it's a fever that, that needs the touch of, of Christ. This organ needs the touch of somebody so it can do what it was designed to do. We need the touch of Christ so we can do, do what we're designed to do. I, I guess you noticed in the text that as soon as this woman had an experience with, with Jesus, the first thing she did is she got up and served. Now, sure, there were some cultural laws at, at work there, but this is not chauvinistic. It's not like we're going to heal this woman so she can get up and serve us. If somebody has told you that, that's just bad interpretation of this text. Don't, don't read it that way. This is about Jesus being in the vicinity, in proximity, in the presence of somebody and taking them and lowering the temperature that, that binds them, reducing the chains that bind them, and then to raise them up to free them for joyful obedience to Jesus Christ. You see, every single person, whether they realize it or not, needs to be released from something and then released to something to make a difference in this world. Every single one of us. Every single one of us. And so we ask cynically, why bother with this home? Why bother with this woman? And it's really no different if we are saying something, well, why bother with illiteracy? That takes too much time. Or why bother with hunger? There's just so many mouths to feed. Or why bother with at-risk children who are in unstable homes? You know, I can't, I can't do a whole lot to change 
uh, their story? Or why should we raise awareness that the Super Bowl is the single uh, largest event for human trafficking and always has been? Why even bother raising awareness about that fact? I feel so powerless to do anything. According to Mark's gospel, the response of the church is simple. Because Jesus did. That's why we should care. That's why we go. That's why we respond. That's why we are released from whatever it is that binds us and our palms up so that we can be palms out caring for the world that so desperately needs to know hope, especially now. Peter's mother-in-law, she never says a word. She's not even, she doesn't not even have a name, according to Mark's gospel. This nameless, speechless, voiceless woman reminds us to think about where we're silent on matters, how, how do we need to speak up? Or where the voiceless are in our community, how do they need the touch of Christ to, to raise them up? The last thing that I really love about this text, and I hope you picked up on it, um, and that is for us and for our families and for our church and for our community, we ha- to find revival, we have to be released from something and then, and then released, in terms of newness, released back out into the world. One of the things I hope that you'll notice, the second part of this text says that Jesus got up early in the morning and prayed. I I tend to think that Jesus was overcome with emotion. I tend to think that Jesus and his pastoral heart was overcome with needs because I I get that. Your clergy team here and clergy colleagues all across our conference and all across this nation uh, with whom we are in contact every single week, we're tired. We're trying so hard to remain innovative and creative and energetic, but at the same time, uh, we're just exhausted because we want more than anything to be together with our people, and we can't. Not yet. It's coming. I'm prophesying it's coming, but not yet. So I think Jesus needed some alone time. He got up early before daylight. He went and he prayed. Even then, even then, it says his first four rookie disciples hunted for him. You know what that word, how that word can be interpreted and uh, translated or interpreted in, in the Greek? It's, it, it can mean that you go after something that you have released or that you have lost. They hunted for him because they didn't know where he was. They had lost their one source of hope and change in this world. And so they went hunting for him. I guess all that to say, when you know you've been, been touched by Christ, you know it. And you know when you've lost that touch as well or become out of touch with Christ as well. So how are you hunting for Christ? And what they tell him is absolutely extraordinary. Everyone is searching for you. And the way that, that I sit with that right now is I, I know the best way that any of us can change the world is one life at a time. It needs to begin with our own lives. That's how we change our corner of the world. That's how we change our world. For some reason, is it, is it not just extraordinary that this one life was changed that she was freed for joyful, she was released from the fever that bound her and released to what God created her to do, and that is hospitality. And word began to spread so much so that everyone wanted to know about this Jesus guy. That's revival. From what do you need release, and to what will you be released? Because everyone is searching for Jesus, whether they realize it or not.
today, this table is set. It's, it's invitational. Christ is already here in proximity in this house. If we're willing to come forward with hands that are open palm to say, I, I, I need some of that grace. I need to be released from my anger and from my bitterness and from my shame and from my doubt and from my addictions, from everything that, that's causing me to have a fever and feel under the weather and to be bound to my bed or relegated to my room or chained. I need to be released from that so that I can be freed for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord.